Yeah. <laughs> Great, everyone. Thanks, um, Charlie and uh, team. It was so interesting, actually. Uh, I was just saying it uh, briefly to uh, Sarah while we, while we chatted. But you sometimes get these Sundays where it just feels like there's a lot of things that do tend to go wrong. And it, with some stuff with the kids' shirts, some with band people uh, injuring themselves last night, some other tech things. Actually, what I've learned in those processes is I've learned that there's a very real enemy in our lives. And that he loves to do things to distract us from being in a place of connecting with God, to distract us from, from connecting with Him. And so um, I, I, in, in many ways, I get grateful when things get a little bit awkward, or a little bit not as planned, because I, I, I know that there's an enemy um, who uh, is, is trying to do stuff to distract. But I also love the typo, which I know wasn't an intentional one about, uh, <laughs> Roxy, about 8 to 9 p.m. But what I actually loved about it is, you know, I think for many of us, it would be shocking absolutely shocking to even think of spending two hours connecting with God. I mean, maybe even three. I mean, we could happily go shopping at Spring Fair for hours on end. We could happily watch rugby for five hours straight. You know, like many, I'm sure, yesterday watched maybe all three games. Maybe there were more than three games. I don't know. Um, but actually, I actually think it was a little bit of a Holy Spirit challenge to us to go, actually, things like that shouldn't shock us. I mean, actually, we should be expectant for, for God to, to do things and work amongst us. And maybe there should be an excitement in doing things longer for Him. So that was just my thought that I got from it. I wanted to highlight quickly before we get into our new series, uh, we have um, a, an important date for your diary. I saved it um, for now as well to split it. And that is, we have Hope Kids Camp. It's happening. It's been on rotation as we go. But on the 4th, you will see it there. Monday the 4th of December, Hope Kids Camp. Please, can you save the date? We will do sign-ups um, at the back as well uh, in the coming weeks. But we want you do, to have it down because we know that for Zim families, holidays in, in fact, every April, August, and December are big. So the reason why I put it here is so for a parent, you can go on holiday from the 5th of December. I'm just telling you now. Your kids will thank you. They will thank you in terms of faith and in terms of fun. But just so you know, that's the date you're allowed to head away from is after the 4th. We can't wait for it. Put it in your calendars. There's going to be more information coming on that. So today we start a new series in the book of James. And I love journeying through books of the Bible. We've done this at Hope Church from when we started. We started off a year ago, um, and we, we did a series in Colossians, building foundations of the Christian faith. And then we moved into the Gospel of Mark, which really sh shared the picture of Jesus. What was he like? We can have a picture of what Jesus was like in our minds. But what was he really like? How did he walk on earth? What did he do? Um, how did he live it out? And then now we're going to move into the book of James. This is a book that's intensely practical. It'll help you ground what you have maybe heard at church before or maybe what you've thought about the Christian faith before. It'll help you ground it into what that looks like practically, an intensely practical book. And uh, at church, we love going through books of the Bible, and this is why. It's really easy if you don't to choose Bible passages you like and to choose things that make you feel good and that we think might make you feel good here as well when we're preaching. But when you go through books of the Bible, you don't have that luxury because you take what God wants us to hear. You take what he wants to share with us through his word. And so it gives us the whole spectrum of what God wants to share with us. And so we love that. And it's why it's so important to go through books of the Bible. And so maybe there's passages in scripture that scare you. There's going to be some in James that scare you. They scare me. But why do we do that? Because it's God's word. And we take what he says as truth, not what we think is truth. 
And so we're excited about this book. Um, we, we can't wait to dive in. We want to be a church that's holistically grounded on God's word, not just on the parts of God's word we like, holistically grounded on his word. So today we're going to do a broad overview of James, and this is going to give us the framework that we see the rest of the series in. And it's really amazing what James does. He, he, he speaks in a topical way. What he does is he does an introduction. We're going to look at it today. And he covers every topic, basically, that he's going to share in the book in a condensed way. And then he does these topical um, attacks at different areas, if you want to call it, as we go through it. So if you're exploring faith here today, maybe you're not sure where you stand faith-wise. Maybe you've known God for many years. James is going to be a clear, straight-to-the-point, and easy-to-understand passage of Scripture not easy to live, but easy to understand. That's the thing about scripture. It's not rocket science. Following Jesus is not complicated. The outworking of it is difficult. What? Because of the brokenness in our lives. It's going to help you to see what it means to follow Christ. And so it's my prayer that wherever you are on this journey, that this series is going to help you take one step towards God. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to James. Uh, If you don't, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you're looking for one, there's great free ones available, version, ESV. We've also got brilliant ones at the back as well. But if you do have, I'd love you to turn there. If you're not exactly sure where it is, it's a small book, New Testament between Hebrews and 1st and 2nd Peter. But it is going to be there on the screen. So firstly, a bit of context. Who was James? It starts off and it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what I love about the powerhouses of faith that you see in Scripture? might be very different to what you see in the outworking. But if you look at Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, if you look at Peter, one of the key church leaders, you look at James as well, don't you love how the way they introduce themselves is by their first name? I love it. James. If you you know anything else in your Bible, Paul. Peter. In every right, they had an opportunity to call themselves doctor or to call themselves whichever else, but they just said, James. This is me writing. I, Paul, am writing this to you. It shows humility. It shows seeing themselves, which he then says next, as just servants of Jesus, just everyday people wanting to help other people encounter God. I love that. That was James's heart. That's what he says, James, and the only other thing you need to know about me is that I serve God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. What else is interesting that you might not know? James was Jesus' brother. We would really say half-brother because uh, Mary uh, hadn't connected with uh, Joseph yet. Uh, So, you know, Jesus' ultimate father was God. And then he had other brothers and sisters with Mary and Joseph. And so James was Jesus' brother. He was also called James the Just. What a wonderful thing to be called about yourself. That's what people knew him as. He was a man who was after justice. He was called James the Just. And although Jesus was his brother, he was actually a skeptic. He was a skeptic of faith. He only became a Christ follower a lot later, once Jesus had died and risen again. But there's a number of passages in Scripture, in John who wrote closely, in Mark who wrote closely about Jesus, that actually Jesus' brothers didn't believe. I mean, let's get into their shoes for a while. They grew up with Jesus. There's that phrase, um, uh, that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. I think that's what it was like. They grew up with him. And it was only when he was 30 that suddenly he went on this mission charge. He started to say that he was, uh, he was God in the flesh. He started to do the miraculous. But there's a number of passages which actually say his brothers said, no, Jesus, you go off and be with your disciples. You go and do what you think you're supposed to do, but we're staying at home. So his brothers didn't actually believe. And then what we see uh, is that God did an amazing transformation in James. We see in Galatians later that he was involved in the church in Jerusalem, which he later led when Peter moved on to plant other churches. 
What brought about this amazing transformation in his life? What might bring it about in your life today? For James, it was two things, I think. Firstly, it says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus, when he rose again, he appeared to many different people. And then he appeared to James himself. Imagine your brother now appearing to you as the risen king and just saying, James, this is me. You might not have realized I was who I said I was. You were skeptical, but I love you. And I wanted to come to you personally so that you know that I'm God. You can trust me. You can believe in me. It's your brother, Jesus. That would have been a huge part of him coming to faith. I think one of the others would have been seeing him see his brother die, be crucified. And then his body disappeared, apparently risen again, which we saw later. And I think those two, two turning points would have been huge for him. Maybe for you, you're going, I don't know about this stuff yet. I'm a bit like James. I'm a bit of a skeptic. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian family. Maybe you went to a private boarding school and you got bombarded with it and you're just kind of over it. Well, I want to say just keep exploring, keep open, because James would have felt like that. And then Jesus changed his life. The book of James is believed to have been written in the AD 40s, so literally 10 years or less than Jesus died and rose again. James was executed in AD 62, um, and uh, people believe that was because of the fact that he stood up for faith in Jerusalem in a place where the religious leaders wanted what Jesus stood for stopped. Just as they crucified Jesus, they believed that he was killed for the same thing. He was known as a pillar and a peacemaker, someone who led with wisdom and love. So that's the first one, who he was, a little bit of who he was. It's all important for the context. Who was he writing to? It says there straight afterwards, he was writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Then he says, greetings, everybody. So the primary purpose of this letter was to address Jewish Christians, Jewish Christ followers, both within Jerusalem where he led the church, but also those who had been dispersed. Now, why had they been dispersed? Two things. Firstly, for the same reason that Jesus was, was killed, is that they had come to faith. There was religious leaders who had huge power and authority in Jerusalem, and they wanted this rebellion that they saw people following Jesus squashed. And so as a result, persecution rose up. Many would have been locked up, many would have been killed, and many would have been scattered into the outer lying areas. They would have had to move to new areas. They would have had to find friendships. They would have had to do those sorts of things. So they've been dispersed and scattered. So this letter was for all of them. The other reason they had scattered is because the great famine took place in the AD 40s. Well documented, but a huge famine took place in that time. And so they would have scattered because there would have been a lack of food for many, particularly the poor in Jerusalem, and they would have had to go to find work or to find small holdings in other places beyond the city walls. So it was a difficult time to lead a church. But he was speaking and he was writing to everybody. So to Jewish Christ followers and now to us. We can all apply what he says to everybody. What was the primary purpose? That's who he wrote to, primary purpose, before we dive in. Well, the book of James, as I said, is intensely practical and challenging, and he was heavily influenced by his brother and by the book of Proverbs. So obviously, once he came to faith, he then looked back, but he would have been part of many of Jesus' teachings. One of the greatest things that impacted James was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he spoke to large crowds, and he laid out what many um, countries today have founded their governing bodies on. At least they were founded and now they're moving away from it, but America being one. Much of how we live comes from the Sermon of the Mount. And then as I said, secondly, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of the wisdom books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs and Scripture, they're known as the wisdom books where you glean how to live from. And so he was hugely influenced 
by this. James doesn't hold any punches. You'll see that. He speaks straight and strong. He saw his brother die and rise again. He was full of a passion to live a life that echoed for all eternity. He was prepared to die for what he believed, and he did. And so I can't wait to get into his world to feel a little bit what it was like leading a church in the midst of huge persecution, in the midst of starvation, and how did the, their lives outwork on the back of it. So we'll dive in to the rest of the introduction. And we will go through this fairly quickly. You can read back on it. But as I said, each of these topics we cover, we're going to dive into in the next few weeks together. So first theme we get to in the book of James is that life is full of trials. This is what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Other translations would say endurance. Others would say perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So a few things we can draw from that. Firstly, trials will happen to us. We cannot escape them. Do you notice how it says there, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials, not if you do well and follow Jesus, you won't have any trials in your life. No, he was writing to Christ followers. He was writing to those who were sold out for Jesus. And he says, when you have trials. So trials are going to happen to us. If anyone's ever told you, or if you've heard it preached, that when you come to Jesus, he sorts out your problems. Um, he takes away everything that you don't want to have in your life and that you now don't go through trials anymore because you follow Jesus. That's untrue and it's unbiblical. There's many other examples, but this is one as a case in point. Jesus didn't promise us a trial-free life, but he promised he would be with us through every single trial that we go through. That's the first one. Trials will happen. Second thing, they're varied. It says you will meet trials of various kinds. A trial is a negative circumstance outside of our control. So there are some things we can bring on ourselves because of the way that we live. We can't blame God for those things or get angry or frustrated. There's things that we bring on consequences that we face to living an unwise lifestyle. But there's trials here in this context. It's something negative not brought on by yourself. So in the context of James, it was primarily poverty and uh, as a result of the great famine and also persecution, but trials are the whole spectrum. So it could be illness, could be death, could be job loss, could be relational difficulty. Trials are anything that's a negative outside circumstance to us. The next thing that I'll say from this that James says is they have a purpose. Trials have a purpose, which he talks about there. The testing of your faith produces something. They have a purpose. And you'll see as you go through scripture that trials, almost a few words after or the sentence after, are followed by this word testing, this word having a test. So for example, 1 Peter, uh, it says in 1 Peter, um, I don't think that I have put it up there, but it says, in this you rejoice, talking about following Jesus, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. So you see this through the writers of the New Testament. You face a trial, but there is a purpose in the trial. There's a testing that comes, and it produces something. So do you see how trials are this real paradox in our lives? We don't want them. Anybody would be silly to want a trial. They're not what we would naturally desire. They're painful. They're difficult. And yet, in a strange way, they're often the very thing that draws us closer to Christ. So we don't want the trial we never want it. But for some reason, if you talk to people in the midst of a trial, often they will say that that is the one thing that brought them closer to Christ. It's, it has a profound spiritual benefit in our lives. And so it's a paradox. 
by means only God can do, he can use something difficult to mold us, to shape us, to grow our faith, and to help us become more like Jesus, which is his ultimate goal. So some of you were here for Mark Wimble sharing about his journey with uh, cancer and brain tumors, having uh, cancer three times, um, now in remission. And what he shared, we were around a table at the men's night. It's really special. Guys were asking him, how have you navigated this? How, how have you processed this? And he preached on it. If any of you are wanting to know a way of navigating suffering or trials, watch, um, it's on YouTube, watch what he shared on two weeks ago uh, from somebody who's been in the furnace. But this is what he said when he shared on it. He says, I wouldn't trade the journey for anything. He said, have I wanted cancer these three times? Of course I didn't want cancer. He was honest about that at the table. But then he said the strangest things. He says, but I can tell you guys honestly, I would do the journey again. So we're sitting there as people going, but Mark, that makes no sense at all. Why would you say that? That makes absolutely no sense. Because he doesn't want it, but then in some strange reason, he wouldn't trade it. It doesn't make any sense unless you see with the eyes of being close to Christ. He said he felt a closeness to Jesus and a closeness to his family that he has never experienced before. And so if your eyes are focused on the good life on earth, then you could miss the intimacy you might have in a difficult situation. We have to see with God's eyes. Does Jesus come to give us good things? Of course, he's a great father. But is that his ultimate goal? No. His ultimate goal is for us to come to faith, number one, and after that, to be like him. Yes, he gives great gifts, but his priority for you and for me is number one, to come to faith. He'll allow anything if it will bring us to a point of coming to faith. And secondly, to draw closer to him. And so we need to see our trials with that difficulty. Trials give us an opportunity, not usually a chosen opportunity. As I said, we don't choose trials, but they give us an opportunity to grow our faith through them if we allow God to work in us in the process. And each of these can test our faith and make us stronger. Maybe some of you are going through a trial right now and you kind of are fighting God in it. I don't know what the trial is, but maybe just as I'm sharing, if I, can, if I could suggest that if you have the perspective of a trial like now, instead of going, this is, I'm just getting bombarded, instead of going, God, would you help me to see you in the trial? I don't want this trial. I don't know why I have this trial, but would you help me to see what you're doing in this? Would you help me to see with your eyes in this? I think you'll be surprised at what he might say to you. What does a trial produce in us? Steadfastness. Some translations would say endurance and perseverance, as I said. And what's the end result of persevering in our faith? It says that we get to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Now that word perfect is repeated seven times in the book of James. And actually, perfect doesn't give us the proper picture of what James is trying to get across. In Greek, that word refers to living a life of wholeness. That's what God wants for us, to live a holistic life, a completely whole life in Him. It's where your faith and the way that that is outworked is the same. Now, often there's a difference to us between what we say we believe and how we live it out. This word perfect or whole means we get to the place where what we hear from God, we live out as close to it as possible. That's the perfect life, according to Jesus. It's when you walk with peace, with purpose, with joy. And so in the midst of our difficulty or our pain, we can choose joy, and there can be joy. It's why James says, count it all joy. And remember, those guys that he's speaking to were being killed for their faith. Some of them could hardly eat. They didn't have enough food through no fault of their own. People were under crisis. And he's saying, actually, guys, there's something called joy, 
and you can experience it in this process. Not through the process, but through God in the process. You might say, well, for me, Craig, at the moment with what I'm going through, that feels impossible. And it's true, I don't know what you're going through. I know what some of the people James was writing to were probably going through, but I don't know. But all I can say to you is, I believe this is the truth of Scripture, that it is possible for you to experience wholeness and closeness to God in the midst of great difficulty. And how does that happen? It's flown to the next bit. You ask for wisdom. We can't understand this in our own strength. It's impossible. And so we ask for wisdom. That's the next theme that we see in Scripture. God's wisdom is freely available. Look what it says, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from God or any wisdom. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so we have access to supernatural wisdom that is given in generous and huge measures. God doesn't hold back his wisdom in our lives. The challenge is, is are we prepared to listen? Are we prepared to act on what he says? I think quite often we ask God for wisdom, then we do opposite to what he's actually telling us. And we keep going, but God, why aren't you showing me the way to go? Why is life so difficult? I keep asking you. And actually, if you just stop for yourself for a little bit, maybe, just maybe, you're asking him for wisdom, and he's trying to speak to you, but you're trying to run in the opposite direction. And then he's going to actually make life get more and more difficult until you turn to the place of walking in the way that he would love you to walk on because he knows that's best for you. So godly wisdom is submitting our lives to God's ways, not trying to press our perspectives into Scripture, not trying to get the Bible to say what we want it to say about our lives, but allowing God's wisdom to mold and shape us. It's placing our faith and trust in the goodness of God in spite of the circumstances that we're facing. Very often, we need wisdom on how to navigate a trial, which is why this follows after what James has said. So run towards God and not away. Don't be so quick to dismiss everything as bad so that you don't grow in the perseverance that God would like to take you on the journey on. We can face our trials and our sufferings with total trust in the Father, just as Jesus did on the journey he went on. We can ask for his wisdom for every circumstance of life and act on what we hear through his word. And as we do that, we'll experience purpose and we won't feel like what James is trying to get across. This person tossed about from wave to wave, somebody who is unstable. And so a little bit of straight talk. I believe that some of us in this room here today might be feeling like we're tossed around. We don't know where life is going. Where is it taking us? Almost like bobbing in the ocean, like what James is saying, unstable. Where should I go? What should I do next? What job should I take? What country should I live in? And the list goes on and on. Can I just say that possibly the reason you're feeling that is because you're asking God for wisdom, but you aren't acting on what he's saying. I can guarantee you that the moment you go, okay, God, Enough of my thoughts, enough of my perspectives. Just speak to me. You can involve other people in the situation if you want. Talk to me through your Bible and I will act on what you say. I can guarantee you, even if it doesn't make sense to you and you act on it, I have a feeling that life starts going a completely different trajectory. You don't feel unstable. You don't feel like you're tossed around by the waves. You feel purpose and joy. Don't worry, guys. You might be getting scared that I've got a few more points left, but uh, we're close to the end. Right. Wisdom will help us manage our earthly resources wisely. Trials, um, wisdom, earthly resources. Look what he says, verse nine. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation 
because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Wealth has the potential to prevent us living a life of impact for God or to magnify the impact that we can have. If you're rich in the things of this world, which is probably all of us in this room, we're probably all in the top 1% of the world, let your resources not fade away in the midst of your pursuits. Don't let your resources get wasted on earth. Remember that our resources will be nothing in eternity. So use them now for eternity. It's my prayer, and we've said this often, that Hope Church would be a river of blessing to the nations. I was amazed that Mark said that in his preach when he was here. He said, I really believe God wants to use you as a church in the nations, well beyond Zimbabwe. I truly believe that God's going to make us a resource house that brings Jesus to the nations, that brings hope to the nations. And we've already seen radical generosity amongst us here. Crazy generosity from people giving of the nothing that they have to people giving large amounts, to giving of their time and their gifts and their abilities. Maybe you've never given before to the local church. Maybe it's not even on your radar. Maybe you hold your resources close. Maybe you haven't even thought about it before. Maybe it feels like, man, if I was to give some of what I have, I'd be giving the church too much because that's how much I have. I mean, I don't know the questions. But I really believe actually that the Holy Spirit right now is going to invade some of your lives and your hearts. Maybe with some of you where money's had this kind of grip, which like, God, you can have every part of my life, but just don't come near my money. You can have everything. I don't mind. I'll come to church. I'll serve. When it comes to my money, that's my choices and my decisions. I'll do with my money what I want to do with my money. Maybe that's been your perspective. The Holy Spirit's going to break that in your heart right now. 100%. Leave without a shadow of a doubt. Some of you today, he will unlock it and suddenly your finances will be used for eternity like you never thought before. And you will experience a joy and a purpose through your resources like you've never felt. You know, the people in Acts, they came, they brought, they were so enamored by God. Their lives were so transformed, they didn't even care. They sold what they had, they brought it. They sold properties, they brought it. They brought what they had and they just said, we don't even care, use this for God's kingdom. And I really believe it's gonna happen. You know, as, as Hope Church, I don't believe our problem's ever gonna be resources. It hasn't been because I believe God's a generous God and he gives Hope Church way more than we need. We can give out loads more to others. But do you know what? I don't believe the problem will ever be limiting resources at Hope Church. Our problem is gonna be stewarding what God gives for maximum benefit for his kingdom. We had a great team that helps us do that. They're amazing already. But that's actually what I believe God's gonna use us for, to be a river of blessing, not a damn wall. Last two. God is a generous God and he gives us new life. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say to when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings, birth, uh, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. A big portion of this, I think, is talking about the, the, what money can do in our lives, but we're gonna speak into temptation and those things in a future bit. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of his truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you and I stand firm under God in our trials, and if we prevent temptation in our lives, um, becoming sinful acts, there will be the most wonderful rewards stored up by God for us and the most incredible gift 
the gift above all gifts is the new life. It says there, the first fruits, the new life that we receive from the Father. And the last bit, we'll close with this. God moves us from hearing to doing. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, that's humility, the implanted word which is able to save. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he forgets what he's like. Makes no sense. But the one who looks into the perfect law, God's word, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious, what he believes is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I love what we get to do with that as a church and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Those closing verses we're gonna unpack in about three chunks. They're the closing practical outworking of our faith that will help us to see more deeply Jesus, what he's called us to. Should we stand? It said there, those are three things as we close uh, that God's calling us to as a people, to speak with love, which means to care about other people, to let God change our hearts and our speech, to be devoted to the poor, so to care about others and not ourselves in generosity, and then to live radically sold out for Jesus. That's what he is calling us to, which is what we have seen. I'd love us to close our eyes just briefly as we finish off. Holy Spirit, would you just, as we are standing here today, would you invade our hearts and would you show us, even in this introduction of the rest of James, would you show us just some of what's been said from your word that we need to act on today? For some of us, it might be navigating some trials and navigating them, seeing God in the midst of them. I'd actually just quickly, I just want to stop. If with your eyes closed, if any of you are going through a trial and you are needing wisdom for it right now, if you're going through it, you don't know which way to turn, you feel a bit tossed by the waves and it's a difficulty, a situation, whatever it is, um, and, and you're needing wisdom for it, godly wisdom, I'd love you to raise your hands. If you're in a trial, you're not sure which way to go, um, I'd, I'd love you to pop up your hands. Um, I'm not going to single you out, get you to come to the front. A few guys raise your hands. Thank you for being bold. It's some... Um, is between, uh, is between you and God. Thank you for your courage in that. Lots of hands going up. That's amazing. Just right now, Holy Spirit, these people who've raised their hands, who've been so bold, you love it when we take steps of faith. Father, I don't know the trial that they're going through. I know you're going to pull them through it. I know that you're working in their hearts. I pray right now they would experience a love from you like they can't comprehend, a closeness to you like is inexplainable, and that you would give them wisdom on how to act, on next steps to take, on what to do, a supernatural wisdom. Would they hear you right now, Holy Spirit, with clarity, with absolute clarity, supernatural clarity as they come before you right now? Would there be breakthrough in their lives, breakthrough in their situations? Jesus, in the midst of their trial, would they see you? Would they grow in perseverance? Would they see you come through in supernatural ways? Trust you for that, Jesus, right now. Your name we pray, amen.
Yeah, just put your hands down. The last little bits quickly. Uh, Holy Spirit, I know you were doing it a little bit as I spoke. For people where money has a hold on our lives, would you break that right now? Would we realize that there is no God to be had in money, only the ultimate God who creates money? God, would we see you as the ultimate provider and would we see our resources as a vehicle, as a mechanism for kingdom advance? Please unlock that in us today. Would you use us as a church to advance your kingdom across the globe like never before? Crazy prayers, wild prayers, tiny little church in Harare. Would you do that for your kingdom? Would you use us as this tiny nation, a little church in this tiny nation to expand your kingdom? Would you do that? And finally, Lord Jesus, those last little bits, would you craft us and would you mold us as people into people who truly love you, to people who speak love, people who care about the poor, and people who live radically for you, no matter the cost. Do that in our hearts, Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. If you're here today and you've never given your life, life to Christ, you can do it right now. You can say, God, I believe. You might have been a skeptic walking in here like James, like Jesus' brother James. And right now in this moment, you can walk out a believer who changes the world for God. You just turn to me and say, God, I believe. Would you change me from the inside out? He'll do it right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for what you're teaching us from your word. In your name we pray. Amen.